Welcome to The Eco Enthusiast, a podcast where we explore the world of everyday people making a difference in the environmental movement. From busy parents to community leaders, we chat with a diverse group of individuals who are using their skills and passions to create positive eco change in their communities and beyond. So whether you're just starting your sustainability journey or you're a seasoned pro, we hope to inspire and empower you to take action and make a positive impact on our planet. So join us and let's start building a better future together. Give a shift about nature. It's a fantastic social media page that I've been following for the last few years and it always puts me in a good mood when I come across some of the memes and the content that gets shared on Give a Shift About Nature. We've got some really educational points on there. I've learned a lot and it's just funny sometimes, just some funny jokes and not many environmental pages use humor. So I was, uh, yeah, I really felt a warmth in this on this page and I noticed it had a huge following of 1.6 million followers. So I thought, who is the person behind this wonderful page. I want to know a bit about how their brain works. I want to know, yeah, I want to get some tips on better ways to engage people. So I I sent an email to give a shift about nature and discovered that Thomas Nelson is the mastermind behind this page. And he agreed to come on and have a chat with me about this his work. And we had a great conversation and I really learned a lot today. Um, just some different practical environmental things that are really important to know. And also just once again, I just don't think we can be reminded enough of different approaches to engaging in this environmental conversation, ways that will keep us healthy and sane and effective. So I hope you enjoy this fantastic conversation with Thomas Nelson. Yeah, finally, we got to meet up. We finally found a time. <laughs> yeah, I'm really happy about it. Yeah, me too, me too, because I, I love your page. I've been following for quite a while now. And oh, thank you. Yeah, how long have you been doing that page? I think I made the first iteration of it in like 2011, so a while. Yeah, yeah. And what made you decide to to create this page? Well, I saw other pages cropping up on social media. I had a lot of interest in environmental issues, so I figured I would try to tap into that kind of energy that was sort of developing out of social, Facebook in particular. Yeah, like 2011, that's like the start of Facebook and things like that when people really started using it. So you've had it for for quite some time. And um, has it changed much in those like 10, 13 years? The page or Facebook? Or... <laughs> the page and your approach. Like, how has it grown from when you first started to how it is now? Because it's huge now. It's like, what, one point? How many followers now do you have on there? It's 1.6 million followers. Oh. It's definitely changed a lot over the years. I was in my early 20s uh, when I made the page, and I've changed a lot over that period of time as well. And so the page has changed with me in that respect. Um, it's gone through just tons of different evolutions over the years. Mostly what I try to do is pay attention to the feedback that I'm getting, not necessarily individual feedback, but look at the big picture, see how people are reacting and then form my strategy around that. Yeah. Yeah. And do you like with your, when you say with your strategy, do you like, like every month you plan how you're going to, what content you're going to put up, or do you just go with the flow like day by day or week by week? Like, how do you approach that? Pretty unscientific, honestly. <laughs> I don't really have any coherent content strategies. What I do is I pay attention to the time of year it is. So if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, it's getting into autumn. In the US, we have holidays like Halloween and Thanksgiving, and there are a lot of opportunities to talk about being environmentally uh, conscious during those periods. A lot of my content is being tailored around that right now. So some of it's seasonal, some of it will depend on like what's happening in the world also. Um, but otherwise I don't really have a super cogent content strategy. Yeah, yeah, you're just like listening to, yeah, 
what's happening in the world at the time. What's your background? Like how, so you said you're interested in environmental issues. Like what is your background? What did you used to work in or what do you work in? Yeah, like where did your interest in the environment come from? My parents were both kind of naturalists. They both enjoyed being in nature. There are tons of walks and hikes and bike rides. So I think it probably hit me from a pretty young age in terms of how I've come to life as an adult. I actually worked for an environmental nonprofit when I was in my early 20s. I think I was 20 when I got that job. I was their volunteer coordinator. And that nonprofit did a lot of work around how humans use natural resources, essentially. So it was a lot of resource conservation work. And as nonprofits often do, they ran out of the funding for my job. And they also ran out of funding to just keep their doors open at all, which was a shame. So at 20, I was or 21, where I had a lot of energy and a lot of interest in this. And I didn't really have anywhere to put it. So I decided to put it on Facebook and see what happened. And how long did it take to, to really, at what point did you go, oh, wow, this is, I've got a big following here. How long did that take for you? There was, I want to say it was maybe in like April of 2011 or 2012. There was a day that I woke up and there were 4,000 new followers on the page that day. And it hadn't been around for very long and it wasn't really that big at the time. And I think that's when I had an oh, wow mo moment where I've, stumbled upon something or I've created something that people seem to really resonate with. And so how do I have you know, the biggest impact on my life and on the planet? Yeah. You use a lot of humor on your page and I haven't seen anyone else really do that with environmental issues. Yeah. What, what do you think about that? Do you think we need to embrace humor more when it comes to the environment? Cause it can get all very serious and I don't know. Yeah. No one has really laughed. I guess when you look at the environmental situation that we're in, it's not very funny, but yeah, you do bring a lot of humor to it. Did it, was it always funny or did, yeah, did you decide at one point to make it humorous? I don't think I started off very funny about it. The thing is, I think if you don't embrace humor, at least a little bit, Nobody really wants to be around like a totally serious buzzkill environmentalist. Like every environmentalist is going to be a little bit of a buzzkill, don't get me wrong. But I try to mix it up for that reason. So I'm just not like harping angrily on issues day in and day out. Nature is being destroyed wholesale by human activity. But nature is also a funny, interesting, wonderful, healing, replenishing kind of place. And I think that we have to really approach it from both angles. This space is wonderful. This planet is wonderful. And it's a little weird, but we also need to protect it. So we can have it both ways, I think. And we probably should. Yeah, look, I, I completely agree with you. I, I wrote a book last, oh, no, yeah, last year. And I, I might, it was a memoir just about my experience of having a baby and then realizing the mess that we're in. And yeah, the only way I could approach it was making that funny, even though it's not funny at all. Like, it's like really quite dark. Sometimes it's the only thing that you can do to keep yourself going insane. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And that's why I love your page, because I get myself, I think, well, I don't get myself, <laughs> the situation gets me very stressed. So it's very nice to just be on Facebook, doom scrolling sometimes, mm -hmm. and then have like one of your posts come up and just kind of, make you remember to laugh about it and you breathe properly then when you start laughing and your whole body relaxes it's great for your nervous system so yeah I really appreciate that but I have noticed in the last just since I started trying to arrange to have the podcast with you that you're doing a lot more questions like you're asking a lot more questions to your followers and yeah is it or, or, or am I inventing that have you changed a little bit are you doing more questions yeah so Facebook algorithms are something that you are always at war with when you have a large page, because the whole point of it is to get environmental ideas into people's heads, right? But if that was the only thing that I did, it just doesn't really engage people in the way that other types of content do, like humor, like asking different questions about things. So you can think of the questions as like a top of funnel. If you get people engaging, they're more likely to see the rest of your content. So that's why 
we have that sort of style of content happening right now. They are the most popular on Facebook right now, pretty far and away. I do wish that the very serious environmental content had the same sort of reach and impact and engagement on social media, but it just doesn't. It's like a poison pill I'm swallowing. Yeah, but you know what? I think it's not bad. I understand like how you came to it, like what you just explained it, but I... Like your questions are very interesting. They're not like those, some of the ridiculous questions that you see up there sometimes and people are, you go, are you, are you really going to answer this? And there's all these comments of people answering. But these are questions that I think are really interesting and make people think. And I think the way you pose them, like even if people have different thoughts about things, I don't know. I don't see people getting into too many arguments. Maybe I've missed that. But it seems to be, a I think it's nice for people to have a place to go where you say, okay, what's the biggest thing concerning you? And they have a space to just say that. I think it's, I think it's good. That's really encouraging to hear. It's the one type of content that seems to make people the angriest. But it's also <laughs> the one type of content that I just, I can't compromise on. Because if I do, it's just going to limit what I'm trying to accomplish. And I just... I can't do that. Not with the amount of time that it takes me. Like every single day on top of my full-time job, I'm at this page for about two or three hours. So it's a wow. lot of work. It's a lot of work to do this. And I just can't, I can't sacrifice the organic reach of the page essentially. So I have to, I have to get creative and keep people engaged in different ways. Like you said, I do work really hard to, at the very least, try to keep it interesting and moderately on topic. At the very least, I, I, I see pages out there that are like, what's a grammar mistake that really bothers yeah. you? So <laughs> that doesn't really matter very much. I know. Yeah. And and so obviously you're an environmentalist, like you're concerned about the environment. You've got 1.2 million followers on social media doing these kind of memes, these questions, these quick flashes of information to people. Do you think this is effective? Yeah, that's a question that I ask myself all the time. I absolutely do think that it's effective for a number of reasons. Number one, because I actually see the comments where I'm trying to raise awareness for an issue of some kind. And there are people who think, I never, or, or say, I never thought about it that way, or I'm thinking about this differently, or maybe I'll do that. And I consider that to be a win. I understand that in the grand scheme of things, these individual actions that we take don't have nearly the same impact as like, what large polluting corporations could have on the planet, but I do still consider that to be a win. And look, I love long form content. That's what I consider to be the most educational, the most impactful, most informative. But at the same time, the statistics really bear it out that the average social media user only exists on a post that they see for between five and eight seconds. So that long form storytelling kind of content, it's not going to, it's not going to be the most effective Thing. And I'm yeah. trying to be as effective as possible. And there's another element to this too, where a few years ago, I read a book by an author named Timothy Snyder. It was called On Tyranny. And it studied parallels between the rise of fascism in the 20th century and the burgeoning fascist movements in Europe and North America in the 21st century. And one of the things that he talked about was the importance of taking responsibility for the face of the world. And in the context of his book, that was like removing Nazi fascist propaganda, like stickers that you might see posted somewhere, taking responsibility for the face of the world. And that is something else that we can do on social media as well. Like it or not, our news feeds are the face of the world. So if I post a meme, if I do this 24 times a day, people are spending five seconds on each one spread across hundreds of thousands or maybe even millions of news feeds. I'm taking some responsibility for the face of the world for the average social media user, even if it is just for that six inches for five seconds. Yeah. And I think about it, if I stopped, what would fill the gap? Yeah, yeah. What would replace that content? On Facebook, that's a frightening prospect a little <laughs> bit. There's a lot of vile things on Facebook. So if I can take up a little bit of that, I think that that's really important. Yeah, look, I completely agree. Where did you read that fact about how long the, the average uh, user stays on a post? Probably Googled it at one point. Yeah, That's yeah. just like the, the fact that exists in my head. It may be revised and updated now, but I also, I see it, I see it bear out in like the analytics inside of Meta's insights where 
that's about how long people seem to stick around with a post. Yeah, yeah. No, look, I think it's, I agree with you. I, I'm always questioning that, like, what's more effective? Like, I'm sometimes posting on my, like, things on my Facebook, just thoughts and whatnot. And then I'm like, no, I should be spending time writing a book or doing something. I don't know. I'm always, yeah, not sure how to. Is the best what's the best use of my energy but i really agree with you that i think what you do is very effective and here's an example of that like i live in spain and it's a you know in, ter in terms of just littering okay just in terms of littering it's people just throw stuff on the floor okay people throw stuff on the ground it's just they weren't they've not been taught to do it otherwise and i grew up in australia where we had like a, a government campaign when I was growing up and it was like images on the television, it was just around. And so it works, like it actually works. And it, it stayed in my brain and, and no one leaders in Australia. There's other things environmentally that we do terribly, but that's one thing that has been effective. So I do think these kind of like flashes, this can really um, change someone's behavior over time. I truly do. So I do think it's very effective. Um, but yeah, I was just curious about your thoughts on, on that. I was just going to, the reason I asked you where you um, found that fact is because I've read a couple of books like Hooked. Have you read Hooked? I can't remember the, the writer of this book, but essentially how to hook people on social media um, because he he was one of the people that designed it and he's, he explains thoroughly how it's, and it's horrific in a way when he's explaining how they designed this stuff to make you addicted to it. Um, but he, in this book, he's explaining how to use it for good. And I feel that's what your memes do. Like it's using the social media for good, these flashes. And yeah, that just made, I was just curious as to where you got that fact from. I hope it's good at the very least. Social media really is freaky in a lot of ways. But yeah, I hope it's having a positive impact. And I agree with what you said that it's just like other stuff's going to, I think about that myself when I feel like I'm banging on about the environment too much on the, online. I go, other stuff again, people are going to talk about just bullshit. At least this is like actually important. This <laughs> is really important. But I think in any case, to have 1.2 million people following about the environment, that's really hard. Like it's very hard to get people, in my opinion, it's very hard to get people interested and fully engaged in this. They're slowly becoming more and more engaged as things get worse. And I think that they will become more engaged. But it's, not, it's still not easy. Yeah, it's really not. I also have the same hope. The thing is, it's really hard. It's hard to think about it and it's hard to care when everything else in our lives is just becoming increasingly difficult. Wages don't keep up with the cost of everything. It's getting harder to pay our bills. Everything, generation after generation, gets more difficult. And I feel like this is my tinfoil hat moment, but I feel like that's by design. Like, why would billionaires and these massive companies want us thinking hard about their products or about the impact that they have on the environment? Why would politicians want us thinking about those things? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I completely agree. It's definitely by design. It's it's out of control at the moment. We, we, we people do not have a, a moment to think about it. What I've noticed is that the like the people in my community that kind of think about it are mothers because you have your maternity leave and you have a mm -hmm. moment to, and you can't move, <laughs> and you're like, okay, you have time to think about what's actually happening and. Yeah, people start to get concerned, but the, the rest of the time we're going a million miles an hour. So when you're going so fast, you you really don't have time to even to question anything, to question anything, or think about how what's the best way to to in, engage. But what I th I think it's great you, on this podcast, I'm always trying to speak to people who have found a way to. I don't know, be an activist in a way that suits their lifestyle and their interests. And it sounds like that's what you've been able to do. Yeah, I think so. And uh, I, I have to say, I did listen to a few of your episodes before coming on. And you've had some really amazing guests on your podcast, like people who've done some pretty incredible things. So the fact that I was invited to come on and speak as nature Facebook guy, it's an honor. I appreciate it. We need a nature Facebook guy. It's an important role. I truly believe that. But yeah, some of the people, they blow me away. I love this podcast because I get to speak to people doing great things and it makes, it, it inspires me. <laughs> it puts me in a good mood at the end of the week and I'm like, people are good. <laughs> people are good and they're doing the right thing. <laughs> Brian too. Yeah. I just think that there's so many ways to, I, I, I really want to highlight that there's so many ways 
for people to engage. So if there's like another younger person out there listening to this podcast going, oh, there's nothing I can do. It's maybe you could make some content that's funny or maybe you could do this or that. I don't know. Like you don't have to reforest the whole world. Like there's different things that you can do that's going to, that can be very effective. The fact is just do something yes. and you'll find it. Like that's always my advice for people young or not, who are trying to find some way to, to get involved and make a splash. I left that job at a nonprofit and I didn't jump into making a living off of Facebook or anything. There was a big period of time there where I work. I actually worked in a warehouse and I did that until I was probably 23 or so, which is when I started the Facebook page. And then I was able to pivot away from that work, but it's not like it was a seamless transition. And it's not like I didn't try to do a dozen different things in the interim before something finally stick, you know, the, they're stuck. The point is try something, anything, throw, throw something at the wall, see what sticks, cast a wide net and you'll find something if you keep persisting. And that's probably true of a, of a lot of things, not just finding a way to care about the environment in a way that works for you, but finding your career, finding your passion, finding what, what it is that you really love to do, what makes you feel alive. Hundred percent. I completely agree with that. Yeah, I was just talking to someone today. I just discovered this concept, which I didn't realize was a thing, called the your failure CV or your failure resume, which is a list of things that you tried that didn't work, but like the things that you learned from them. And yeah, like I, I that's what's happened to me on this journey of okay, how am I going to be a part of this movement? Because it's really important to me. It's but how am I going to be inside of it? And I tried a couple of things that were. Like now I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, that was just such a stupid idea. But I was so passionate about it at the time and I learned so much and it clarified for me the direction that I should go in. So yes, I completely agree. Just try anything that comes to your mind and enjoy the failure because I'm not like that. I'm like, I'm usually terrified of failure. But I said to my husband, I was like, when I was developing this project, I was like, oh, but what if it, what if it doesn't work out? And he's like, like nothing happens. Like that's nothing. Nothing bad happens. Do you know what I mean? Like you're not yeah, going to get like absolutely. a big F on your exam. It's. I think it's from school that we get this like terror of of failing. But it's like, I, I said this to my nephew. He's just left high school, and my my sister asked for advice for his, for her, her son, and I said, no one is watching you in a good way. Like no one cares. <laughs> When I say no one cares, I don't mean that no one cares about you. We all want you to do well. We're all rooting for you. But you can make mistakes and no one's, we're all busy. Don't feel like it's freedom. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of important. There's a piece of advice that's, or a quote that I like that's don't take a, uh, don't take criticism from somebody you wouldn't take advice from. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. And just finding whatever it is, even if it's just you, like you don't have to have 1.6 million followers to have a difference. If there's a guy where I live, who his whole deal is he takes a power washer into nature and power washes graffiti off of rocks. And I've actually posted about this guy before. It's very cool. I wish I remembered his name or the name of his organization. But if anybody listening Googles like Colorado Springs guy power washes graffiti off of rocks, you'll probably find him. But anyway, I, I posted about this fellow a couple times and there's always feedback. And so what happens to the paint? The paint's bad for the environment. So you're just power washing that away or whatever. But you can sit there, uh, you can sit there and explain when you get rid of graffiti, it makes it less likely that other people are going to pile more paint on, which like it's harm reduction, not harm elimination. But if you just, if you listen to those people, probably wouldn't get anywhere so just figure out your thing and do it even if it's just you power washing graffiti off of rocks yeah i just love that he cares i just love that's what he was called to do like he noticed that it was there and wants it gone like it, it's yeah i think that's wonderful yeah yeah we live in a beautiful place there's no yeah. reason to spray painting stuff on it I think it's, yeah, it's great. Actually, I think I, one of the guests I've spoken to, have, I haven't put the episode up yet, but I think I got him from your page. Maybe, um, you, I'm sure you've posted him. It's this guy, a really old man, he's 80 years old, and he is the apple hunter, and he's, he's saved like 1,200 species of apples. And he's like, oh, yeah, I posted about him before yeah, we talked yeah. to him. Yeah, I spoke to him about his story. He's and he's so lovely. So yeah, there's just so many That's different awesome. ways for people to to engage. Yeah, there really is. Find your weird niche thing and just sprint at it. Yeah, and the thing I learned from him is that like 
we were discussing it and he's, this is the thing keeping him alive now. Like he's 80 something. This is the, he goes every day I get up and I'm like, what apple can I find? Do you know what I mean? And it's hard. Like it's a really hard hunt for him, but yeah, it's keeping him healthy and here. And it's really important. So we have some questions that I, I always ask on the podcast. One question is, what has been your most profound moment in nature? I don't know if I can really point to a single moment in nature as being the most profound moment that I've had in nature, but I've had tons of great experiences in nature. For me, it's a great place to go to be with friends or to be alone, get big ideas, to get over a breakup, just whatever it is that you need, it seems to be the most therapeutic thing for us humans. Yeah. it. it I mean, everyone says that nature is, is medicine, but it it really is like it does. That's one thing that concerns me whenever I think about it being destroyed. It's like, where am I going to go when something terrible happens? Because it's it's always been the place to go. And because sometimes there are no words to, to help you when things get that bad. But connecting with the natural world, it's immediately makes you feel fine. Yeah, absolutely. I can think of I can think of recently just the worst day, like the worst day that I had in 2023, just by far, like not in a good place, not good for anybody. And what I did was I just like angrily hiked uh, six or seven miles or so. There's a loop that I really like around here. That's just, it's brutal. But by the end of it, I was just, I don't know. I was good again. I was good to be around again. I was good for people again. And I think that really just does speak to how effective nature can be yeah it's yeah for sure it's so powerful whereabouts do you live do you live I'm in, in colorado that? springs colorado ah, so you mean you're just like surrounded by absolute beauty no yeah i feel really fortunate in a lot of ways to to be where i am especially where i am in the city i live on the very western edge right pretty much where it meets the mountains so it's very easy to just access nature even just walking distance it's nice and you get bears sometimes but that's just a trade-off that's cool though like i would love that to be a reality like i would i would love to for, to go into the the forest and there, to know that there could be that kind of danger it's fun <laughs> i shouldn't say that i know people have been really hurt by bears but i just just bring bear mace yeah. It's fine. <laughs> yeah so you live in colorado how have you noticed or is the climate affecting where you live in a way that you've noticed Yeah, it's gotten more arid here, which has compromised the immune system of trees, which has enabled, I really hope that scientifically I'm talking about this correctly, which has enabled bark beetles to decimate trees, which has made forest fires worse. That's like half climate change, half irresponsible forest management on our part. And then this year, we've just had the most intense rain that I think I've seen in my entire life. By June 1st, we had already gotten the average amount of precipitation that we would get in a year. And that's wild. It's really wild for, for this place. Like it rains in the summer, but not like that. So I feel like I just contradicted myself here a little bit by saying that it's super arid and that's having negative consequences. And then we got more rain than like I was about to build a boat. And yeah. I think that's part of it. Yeah, you know? that is part it's of not just the, It's not just the climate is changing. It's that it's completely destabilizing. So you're going to get wacky ass weather patterns like that. And we've, we're seeing it here. How about you? I I was just, I teach English here in Spain and I was just speaking to one of my students and he was having this panic because he works at this big company and they haven't sold any heaters. Why haven't they sold any heaters? It's not cold. Like autumn hasn't arrived and it's like the 19th of October. That's bizarre here. So that's really crazy. Like I have to say, I've lived here for 10 years and we've always had very distinct seasons. And I noticed it because I come from Australia where it's not as clear. And I loved that about this country. I was like so excited that you had the full spectrum. And yeah, but what's so weird to me, I said to my student, because he was really worried about the heaters. And I was like, okay, great. And he goes, we're talking about the climate and so on. And I said, so how do you feel about like, how do you feel about the fact that might just disappear? And he goes, Oh, like he's more worried about the heaters. <laughs> he goes, oh, it is concerning. There's, I, there's nothing we can do about it. 
So it's it's I'm always trying to find ways to speak to just really confront people and ask them how they feel because I think many people it's it breaks my brain that no one is concerned. <laughs> and I know not no one is concerned, but I'm talking about your everyday person that you just come across in the street. Yeah, like I said, it's hard to think about things when you're worried about are you going to make a living selling heaters this winter. True. It's really hard to think about it. It's true. If you don't have an income, your whole way of life crumbles. If you don't have a stable climate, the same thing happens. But the income thing is like it's, it's a now. way more tangible thing. We've been told our entire lives that if you don't make money, you're going to be homeless and it's going to be horrible. We haven't been told our whole lives that if we screw up the atmosphere, that the same thing is going to happen or could happen. Yeah. Yes, it's true. You're right. But and I, I spoke to him about that. I spoke to him about, like, in his case, he works for this huge company and it's just what the bosses say. It's all this kind of pressure that just comes down from the top. Then It's horrible. But they get blamed for the sales. And it's like, how can you blame the fact that it's not cold on your employee? Like, that's ridiculous. But that's what's starting to happen. And it's like, can people, I said, at the company, it's a huge company. Are they talking about the fact that they're going to think need to think about changing the products they sell because the seasons are disappearing essentially? And he goes, no, they're not really speaking about that, which I find that crazy because they're huge companies that, and they surely know what's happening. Yeah. Oh, they're huge companies for now. Yeah, true. Yeah. We'll see what happens when there's nothing to sell. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, it is changing here a lot. And in, I'm also from Australia, so I'm always observing that closely. And, yeah, we're starting to see the fires that we had four years ago again in the area that I grew up in. So, yeah, it's – but the thing is what I'm noticing is people are starting to become more aware of it. What about when you live is – what are people's thoughts on it when you're – pe- your friends, your family, the people in your community, what do they think about when they think about the climate and the environment? Varies pretty wild, wildly from person to person, I suppose. I live in a, a really interesting place. It's schizophrenic in a few ways because there's a heavy religious fundamentalist presence here. There's also a heavy military presence here. And then there's a heavy outdoor weirdo presence here, people like me. So there's definitely a lot of wildly different views. And so it really does just depend on the person. But I think of my peers, people in my age group, I'm in my mid-30s. There's just an attitude, and it's an attitude that I get that's, yeah, it really sucks. Yeah. It really sucks. That's a thing that's happening. Yeah. And I get it. Like, that's my my take on it as well. As I've gotten older, maybe one of the ways that I and my Facebook page have changed over the years is that I'm just not the zealot that I used to be about these things. It just feels like so much of it is outside of my control and I'm going to try to positively influence the things that I can in the most magnanimous way possible. I think it's a very, I think it's a really good approach because it's so huge that you can't really maintain the energy of being like super, super concerned all the time. And as you said, yeah, a lot I'm of I'm getting crow's feet already as it is. I don't <laughs> need to be stressing myself out. All the time. <laughs> yeah. you got to, I do think you really have to enjoy your life. And I, I guess that's what I'm always trying to think to find though, if for myself and for others is I'm sure there's a way that we can all be really engaged, but then still be quite chilled out. <laughs> that's my hope. This is my dream. Uh, if you figure it out, let me know. <laughs> step by step, this is just a dream that I'm walking towards. <laughs> Definitely haven't figured anything out yet. Okay, another question we have is, you've answered this because we did speak about advice, but maybe you have some other pieces of advice. So there's the, the grandma's advice activity that we do where you have to imagine that you're an old woman coming towards the end of her life and she's passing on some advice to her grandchildren. What advice would you pass on to your grandchildren, Thomas? I would say read books, especially the books that they tell you you shouldn't read. Read those first. Be in nature. Spend time in nature. and Be as good as you can and be as brave as you can be, whatever that means for you. Take big swings in life. Do cool things with your life, things that make you feel alive. And 
I'll repeat the quote from earlier. Don't take criticism from people you wouldn't take advice from. And stretch. I'm only 35. I'm already <laughs> feeling the trouble of not having stretched for most of my 20s. Please stretch. Do a little yoga every day. Yeah, I completely agree with the stretching. But I loved the first response of books because I completely agree. Have you always been a big reader? Not really, to be perfectly honest with you. ADHD really prevents me from uh, getting through long-form content very quickly. But I try to get through three to five books a year. Yeah. But, yeah. So, and when did you start doing that? Later in life or? I was a big reader when I was young, that's for sure. My parents both worked in education. So getting me to read was a huge, huge deal for them. So I read a lot of books when I was young. As an adult, it's fallen on the back burner. Just with all the pressures of being an adult human person oh, in the yeah. society and, and yeah. everything, it's hard to focus, for me at least, to focus on, on reading long form, very long form content of yes. books. But I, I always have one that I'm going through. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, the reason I ask that question is because when I was pregnant, so it's like four years ago, I was freaking out about my attention span because of the internet. And I was like, I'm using the internet too much. I'm going to do something radical and I'm going to read a book a week. To, so I have something to distract me from this horror because I needed another drug. And yeah, and I went, it's impossible. I haven't read, a, I probably read in the last 10 years, the previous 10 years, maybe like three or four books in 10 years. So I thought, it was, I thought it was impossible, but I did it and I have maintained a similar pace and it's changed my life because it, reading like books, it, I just it calms you down. Um, and the information stays with you in a way that it doesn't in any other way, like instead of watching it in, in place of watching a movie. Yeah, I don't know. For me, it's been, been very empowering and comforting. So I, I think it's really good advice to give people. I should take some inspiration from you. Yeah, I, I don't know if a book a week's great though. Like I think maybe one a month, right? I'm thinking of that because I do think when I was doing the book a week, you don't, you should have time to process the book. You shouldn't just like stuff it down your face. <laughs> you should consume it in a, like a That's civilized totally person. <laughs> totally fair. Don't be a book glutton. Yeah. Pause <laughs> um, and enjoy the content like it's a good meal. Yes. Like someone took a long time to write that down. Just take it easy. Really listen to what they're saying and enjoy it. Enjoy it. And another question that we have is, so in this world of like lots of changes, what is something that you hope never changes? Dirt. If you've ever made dirt, just like compost, out of the exact right combination of things, banana peels and leaves and manure or whatever, it's just, it's perfect. It has that thick dirt smell. It's just so sweet in a way, like sweet smelling dirt. 10 out of 10, honestly, I hope that as long as I live, good dirt never changes. I say, yeah, screw the newest phone, make compost. Yeah, I think it's uh, really important as well. And it drives me nuts here. Like in your town, do they have, do you compost your own food? Do you have your own compost that you do, that you use? Or do you have a system? Yeah, I'm a pretty aggressive gardener in my personal private life. So I, I compost as much as I can. I'm just watching... Currently out my window, the leaves changing on all of my neighbor's trees, and I'm coveting those leaves a little bit. I'm trying to work up the gall to go knock on their door and be the weirdest person that they talk to all month and be like, hey, can I have your leaves? <laughs> um, but yes, I, I do compost myself. I think that there might be some companies that do curbside composting here. I'm not totally sure. Um, every this isn't like a, a municipal city run thing. It's all like private companies. So I think it just kind of depends. There might be one. I never really looked for it because I just do composting all myself. Yeah. Wow. I, I have a terrace and I, I tried it once, but it went bad. And my husband's never forgiven me because it kind of ruined the boot of his car when we had to take out, take out the, the compost. It, it went really bad is my point. Um, but I really want to try Gosh. it again. But, but it's harder it's harder on a terrace is that correct if you do you know much about it is it possible to do it on a terrace uh as far as i know yeah usually i mean i keep it keep it pretty simple my my compost heaps exist i actually overwinter them on top of my garden bed so i build i used uh, i use wire um 
like a wire mesh kind of to make sort of a cylinder in which the compost all goes inside of. And then I let that, you know, get snowed on and rained up all winter. And usually it's broken down quite a bit by the time spring rolls around. And then I just kind of spread it around. I try not to disturb the soil too much because a thing I've read recently is that like the uh, mycelium, the fungus that helps like move nutrients around, get deeply disturbed when you till. So I try to avoid that and just like pack new soil, new compost on top. So that's my strategy. I know that people sometimes will get like uh, tumblers. They're, uh, yeah, the ones where you like, can move it. Are up. Yeah, I tried to go plastic free whenever possible. So I didn't, I didn't go that route. I've also seen people get wood pallets and make a rectangle or like a a cube essentially yeah. uh, and just put all the compost in there. I don't do that. Um, I have dogs they just get into it. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's the way that I do it. I don't know if, uh, I don't know if that would work on a terrace necessarily. Yeah, I, I know it's a bit complicated. The reason I ask is because I'm like, it drives me nuts. I can't, I can't stand that we don't have a system. Like I'm, and I've written to the town hall. I'm the person that they hate there because I'm writing to them all the time, going, "Can we please get a system put in? Like, please, it's so easy." Duh, duh, duh. And it's just, and I'm throwing them in like the forest. And I'm like, I don't think that's right either. But what am I meant to do? Because I hate putting with the plastic and I hate mixing out. But yeah, I'm that, I'm that person that can't let it go. So I'm just... yeah. There's even complications to throwing it in the forest. It's one of those like the road to hell is paved with good intentions thing. Like the, the conflict with with just leaving your biodegradables in the forest are like several several fold. Where one does that material exist in that natural environment? Like around this time of year, one thing I'm always running into on social media that I used to think and I got corrected on lovingly by my audience is uh, that you should leave your old jack-o'-lanterns in nature and you actually shouldn't do that because pumpkins don't likely grow in the woods where you live and it also like habituates wildlife to to consume or to expect there to be food in places where people might go it's why it's not good to like throw banana peels off of your hiking trail not to get super preachy or anything it's just, no i the reason it's I, something i got yelled at about and now i yell at everybody <laughs> else about it the reason i bring i brought it up is because it's what I've been doing and I know it's not right. Like I know it's not the right thing, but I'm like, I, I can't stand to put it in with the plastic. So I guess what I'm going to have to do is just put it in with the plastic and then just keep fighting my fight with the town hall. Yeah, or figure out that compromise with your husband to be able to compost again. <laughs> I think I'll have to try the tumbler one. for you. <laughs> there it's... are some, uh, you might look into vermiculture, which is worm composting. They're, they make, and you can make these yourself too. It's super easy, but they make these stackable bins where uh, like fluid from the compost goes out and you put red wiggler worms in there and they eat their own body weight every day is what I've read. So ah. you know, if you produce a pound of organic material, a day, then you should have about a pound of red wiggler worms. You know what? I'm gonna bed, I'm so. gonna give this a try because someone did mention that to me the other day when I was like freaking out about this. Uh, so I will give that a try, but I'm still gonna hassle the town hall because I just go. Not everyone's gonna do that, and not everyone can do that. We have to figure out like they should be figuring this out. It's not hard for them to do. Invest a bit of money in it yeah. and figure it out. It drives me nuts. There's so many things in Don't this never world. Stop. Castle in town hall. Don't ever stop. Keep going. <laughs> there's so many th things that we can't solve, and there's like things in front of us that are so easy, and so it drives me nuts. Okay, great. So dirt, very good. Dirt. Um, That's great. Love dirt. <laughs> and the last one is: what is one habit that you think all eco enthusiasts should pick up? Honestly, I think every environmentalist out there, every eco enthusiast should pick up the habit of coming of choosing love over anger coming from a place of love instead of anger when it comes to their issue whatever it is you're trying to do i know that it's pretty natural to get mad about what's happening like mad or sad or upset and we all pick up issues that are extra important to us and it's just infuriating when you can't get people to join your cause right like when town hall doesn't listen but there's a story that I was told a long time ago um, before I even created the Facebook page that I always kind of uh, have in my mind where I met a woman who, when she was a teenager, she got really excited about recycling. So she got like a little recycling bin 
that um, would take paper, like her university or high school or something was. So I was taking paper, but it's like, so she was just dumping it in there. So she got it, she put it in her house, she told her whole family, hey, guess what? We're recycling paper now because throwing paper away is wrong and it's super bad and this will save trees and so on. And her family resisted. Now, why? What is so hard about just putting your junk mail on old newspapers in a different bin? It made her so mad. She would yell at her parents, she'd yell at her family. She would take their recyclable paper out of the trash and put it in the bin. And her family just kept resisting and resisting. And so finally, she just said, screw it. You know what? I'll just recycle my paper. That's all I can do. She did that. And in a short matter of time, her family started using the recycle bin just quietly. She was sitting at the dining room table and saw her mom throw a piece of mail in the recycle bin. And her family resisted, she thinks, and I agree, because it's natural to get defensive when you've been told that something you've done your entire life without really very much thought is super wrong and not good and very bad. She eventually chose to come from a place of, like, first of all, respect, um, love, and she led through action. And eventually they followed her lead. And so what I took away from that, well, I learned from her, and what I continue to try to keep close to my heart is that in moments where I find myself getting mad, like I'm spinning my wheels, I'm not getting anywhere with people. I have to remember, I have to realize it's not other people's fault for not joining my cause. It's my fault for not approaching them the right way with that love and respect and with leadership. So if I can, I wanted to share that story. I think that it, it's had a pretty big impact on the way that I think about this. And I think it's something that we should all really keep in mind. Love wins, not getting all mad. Yeah, I com I completely agree. It's hard though. Oh yeah, <laughs> nothing about this is easy. <laughs> nothing about this is easy. No, there's, I, a, there's a quote from Aldo Leopold where he's like, uh, "I haven't read San County Almanac in like 15 years, probably." But he's essentially saying that it's it's hard to to have an ecological education in the world that we live in today because everywhere you look you see wounds and in a way that wounds you as well so it's hard to yeah take a deep breath and let go of negative emotions and come from a place of love but really that's the only thing that's going to heal those wounds and get people to join you in that mission it's a great story and i'm glad that you said it because i think we just keep on we have to keep on reminding ourselves of that i had this argument with my husband the other night or last week, actually, because we're trying to plan this trip and I'm always trying to avoid flying. And so I figured out this way that we can go on in the car and on the ferry. And it's going to be like a really fun trip. I have a feeling that in the end, everyone's going to be thanking me because we're going to have a great time. But when he realized that it's nine hours instead of one and a half hours on the airplane, he was like, <laughs> and I just snapped. <laughs> I just snapped and I was just like, I can't remember what I said, but I was just like, you don't know what it's like. And I'm trying to do the right thing. And it's really hard. And I'm always trying to do the right thing. And he and then he got upset. And then we were like talking about the argument later. And I was like, it's just, he goes, Abby, you just completely overreacted. <laughs> you completely overreacted. And I did. And I admitted that. And I said, it's just that I just feel every day I'm trying to do the right thing. And it's hard because it's opposite of what our culture is asking us to do and I'm trying to encourage others and then when I figure this out and it's done and then my husband goes <sighs> I just it just I just snapped but you're so right and look he, it was a great it was great in the end because we both got, had a really good conversation about the situation and because he, he was like Abby what you're not getting is that you're getting through I, I want to go on the trip doing the slow travel you know, I just, it's just hard. Like, it's just hard. It's, it is hard to change when everyone's doing that. You're right, but you're, you're, you'll do much better to just go a bit softer. And it's so true yeah. because it's working. Like, people do over time, this, you know, change. But it's, I do say it is hard when you feel like you've been patient and patient and holding your breath. And then just one day, you just kind of snap. <laughs> Yeah, as my mom would say, you attract more flies with honey than vinegar, right? 
Yeah, it, it's really true. It's really true. My And my dad snapped the other day as well. Like I've been speaking about this topic just this last week. That's why I'm glad also they brought it up. Because in Australia, they had the uh, referendum. Did you hear about this last week? No, you probably didn't. There's a lot of news happening. Uh, I, in the... I, I, boy, is there. Yeah, um, like there's a crazy I, I remember I read, I read a comment on my Facebook page where somebody was mad about it, but I didn't have time at that moment to dive in deeper, so tell no. me about it. There's just there's been a crazy amount of news and terrifying news. So the referendum essentially was, should the Indigenous people be put into the Constitution and should they there be a body, like a group of Indigenous people that have a say on issues that affect them so that they can say their opinion about what's going to happen in their communities. That The government doesn't have to listen, but it doesn't have to take up the what they say, but they do have to listen. That's it. 60% of the country voted no. We don't want that. So it's absolutely heartbreaking, right? It's absolutely devastating. And my dad, who's like 70, had been at the polls with the Yes campaign the whole week, doing what you're talking about, like being super positive, being really happy and being really loving. And then like when that happened, he just stuck his finger up at someone and just got really heartbroken and just got really angry and was not loving. And we were talking about that because he's like, I just... How, how can I, I'm, I snapped, you know, and I said, I, I completely understand why you snapped because it's, it is devastating to think that you're living in a community that doesn't want that, like would deny that. Um, but I was just listening to a podcast with this guy that had been in jail for 30 years and for a crime he hadn't committed in America, a black man. And he's come out this year as fresh as a daisy and he'd been reading all these books in, in jail, doing a lot of prayer. And I guess I bring his story up because he came out and was as fresh as a daisy and wasn't bitter and sticking his fingers up and furious. And I said to my dad, because it doesn't work. Do you know? I think at one point, like he, I'm sure when he was in there, he was freaking angry the whole time that this is whole his whole life is destroyed because of this injustice but I think you get to one point where you go there's an absolutely no point in even feeling angry like that because it doesn't actually I mean he's got 40 percent there's a lot of referendums that don't get that so put the finger down yeah <laughs> yes Seriously, and if it's important take another stab at it keep educating people I agree. I agree. But I, it's, I guess it's, I, I think it's been positive, the whole thing, because it, they're going to get something from it for sure. Like the, it is moving to even have that conversation in Australia is huge. So it, there's a lot of movement, but yes, it is just about that. Yeah. I said to my dad, I think I need to do a lot more meditation because I think that's where I'm, why I'm snapping so much because I'm just not calm and yeah, it, it's hard not to get worked up about this stuff, but yeah. Everything that, everything that we have in our lives, like our, our entertainment, our political systems, our jobs, our work, our social media, everything has just left us so badly dysregulated emotionally, I think. And it's just, I think it used to be that you could kind of like go through your life and your job and your family and then an hour of TV at night and the newspaper in the morning or whatever. It used to be that you had that and you can like mostly get through it without losing your fucking mind. But now it's just like everything is dysregulating us so, so severely. That was kind of an ambling thought. No, it's a really good thought and exactly. it's completely but, true. It's, it, it leaves us, you know, open to be, to snap, to, to you know, to, we're doing our best. We're trying to like be loving and move forward and be patient. But you're right. Everything's just coming at us and it, it, we're not in a calm. It's hard to be at peace when the, in the world that we're living in. And I, you know, I try to not watch as much news, but you, you can't avoid it really. But I, like the reason why I bring that up is because I was, you know, doing some research for a story that I would like to write about a nurse from my town a hundred years ago. The plague arrived to my town and she was like incredible, like a heroic figure in the town because she stayed and looked after people and sacrificed her life to, to care for them. And so I was researching this and reading the newspapers from a hundred, 120 years ago and they were calm. 
They were calming. <laughs> they were relaxed. Like the news was presented to you, like very stressful news was presented to you just very calmly. And yeah, since then, I've always thought what we're doing right now with the news is not helpful. <laughs> yeah, news companies are owned by billionaires. What do you think that they're going to tell you exactly? And like half of the news is just opinion these days too. Yeah, it's true. It's mostly just opinion pieces. And then someone's opinion on someone's opinion piece. And then someone videoing themselves reacting to the opinion piece. Um, yeah, you, you read all that and it's like, uh, no wonder my body can't make dopamine anymore. Yeah, 100%. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast, Thomas. It was really great to speak to you about your, your fantastic platform. And um, yeah, uh, I'll put all the links to your, to your Instagram and your social medias on the, on, in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was a really wonderful conversation and I'm glad that we could connect. Me too. Thanks, Thomas. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Eco Enthusiast. Uh, like I said, I learned a lot. I feel really embarrassed about my um, throwing scraps in the forest. So I'm going to look into these worms. If anyone knows anything about worm uh, worm farms, yeah, send me an email or, or some links because I'm very, very curious about giving this a try. It's It also reminded me today just to maybe to think about the actions that we're taking to see if they're the most effective. Maybe my energy is better spent just focusing on the town hall, trying to get other people interested in, in that. So yeah, it was a good thought about just thinking about what we're doing and really analyzing what's the most effective thing. I loved what he said about choosing love over anger. I don't think we can hear that enough because it's, as we discussed, it's not easy to always choose love. I do think it is the right one, but it's not always easy when it's a, when we're in grief. Another woman I follow who's going to be coming on the podcast soon, she was talking about this in some of her content recently, and it's true. We're not in anger, a lot of us. We're in a lot of grief. And it's good to remember that you're in grief because then you, that's love grief is actually a form of love so remember not to let it always boil over to this anger and to to come from a place of love to recharge yourself it's this episode here has made me commit to the idea of doing 40 minutes of meditation a day because I feel myself starting to get very angry about some of the things in the world so yeah it was very very helpful listening to tom's really clear opinion and it's true on his page that's what attracts me to the page that's what i love about that page you can feel the warmth through the writing and the jokes and even just the way yeah uh the educational tips get passed on so i hope you enjoyed this week's episode um as always, we like to finish with a nature poem. This week, I'm going to be reading a nature poem, a really old one from the 1800s. Uh, as I was talking to Thomas, we were talking about, you know, I was saying how autumn hadn't arrived here in Spain. Well, it's finally arrived and it's wonderful because it's my favorite season. And this poem by George Cooper, um, a poet from the 18, from 1800s, is a poem about autumn and it's called The Wind and the Leaves. I hope you enjoy it and we'll see you next time on The Eco Enthusiast. Come, little leaves, said the wind one day. Come o'er the meadows with me and play. Put on your dress of red and gold. Summer is gone and the days grow cold. Soon as the leaves heard the wind's loud call, down they came fluttering one and all. Over the brown fields they danced and flew, singing the soft little songs they knew. Cricket, goodbye, we've been friends so long. Little brook, sing us your farewell song. Say you were sorry to see us go. Ah, you'll miss us, right well we know. Dear little lambs in your fleecy fold, mother will keep you from harm and cold. Fondly we've watched you in vale and glade. 
Say you will dream of our loving shade. Dancing and whirling, the little leaves went. Winter had called them, and they were content. Soon, fast asleep, in their earthly beds, the snow laid a coverlet over their heads.